Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Tyler Tischler with Superior Book Promotions. And I'm Victor Volkman with Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 99 in our series. Tonight's topic is how to turn your writing career into journalism. And our special guest is Donna Kakonge. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear your questions and comments about tonight's show. Please send them to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we're on the line with Donna Kakonge, who started writing seriously at the age of seven. Her second grade teacher, Mrs. Chen, had the whole class keep a journal, and she wrote a story about dinosaurs that Mrs. Chen deemed outstanding. Ever since then, she has been hooked. She went to journalism school at Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada, where she graduated with the Marjorie Nichols Award for being the student with the most promise of becoming an exceptional journalist. She's been nominated for a Gemini Award, that's the Canadian version of the Emmy, for work done with the Discovery Channel and has been part of a W Network project called Tell It Like It Is that won a Hugo Award. She has worked for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC, and Radio Canada International on and off for 15 years at the local, national, and international levels of television and radio. In addition to Discovery Channel and Discovery Channel International, Vision TV, the BBC, and various print publications around the world. Her education also includes a Master of Arts in Media Studies and Communications from Concordia University of Montreal, Canada. Her thesis was on the politics of black hair. She has written 31 books, including What Happened to the Afro, that gives a different side to Chris Rock's documentary entitled Good Hair. She has also edited Being Healthy, selected works from the Internet, and has a book called How to Write Creative Nonfiction, which is published by Lulu. You can find all of her books on Amazon.com and other fine e-tailers. She speaks uh, fluently both French and English, a bit of Italian and Spanish, and she has received a Quebec or documentary fellowship from DOC Toronto. She's currently teaching at Seneca College and Centennial Colleges in Toronto in the areas of writing and broadcast. Wow, well, good evening, Donna. Good evening. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Donna. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about um, journalism tonight. And uh, just before the show, I was, I was uh, surprised when first spoke to you about what journalism actually encompasses. I just think of it as newspapers. So to start, could you explain us a little bit about what the different kinds of journalism are that are out there today that are possible for people? Sure, sure. Uh, journalism is a wide world. Huge, huge. It covers everything from, yes, writing for newspapers uh, to doing things like uh, writing online um, to writing for magazines, either as a staff writer or freelance writer. Um, it also includes being a writer even for TV news um, or for radio. Uh, it, it could include doing documentaries, 
Um, it could even include uh, the even movies is is a possibility. Um, writing scripts for movies. Uh, it's uh, it's wide. It's really wide. It could even be just doing uh, research for somebody for a book. Um, it's uh, it's it, it's or, or writing books, nonfiction books. Um, uh, it could be about uh, nonfiction books about uh, a particular topic, like um, like uh, uh, drugs in the seventies or something like that, uh, any any interesting kind of topic somebody comes up with that they're passionate about uh, exploring and delving into. In investigative journalism is also an avenue as well, um, really uncovering, uh, you know, what's behind the H1N1 flu uh, vaccination. Uh, it, it could cover a wide variety of things. Wow, that, that's, that's a lot, and, and a lot of it I never of his journalism. Um, I, I guess when, when I was in college, like about 20 years ago, I went into English uh, major program, but I stayed away from journalism because I thought it was just about newspapers and I wasn't really interested in newspapers. So is, has that, uh, and, and I remember specifically that what people in the journalism program did was put out the newspaper. So has, right. has that changed? If you want to go into journalism today, do you Go to the university it, it, and you, you bring up a really good point, Tyler. Um, it hasn't really changed too much. Um, it's still like if a student is in journalism school, it's great to write for the paper, but it can also be great for them to post things nowadays up on YouTube, um, do a podcast. Uh, you know, maybe work for community radio on the campus station. Um, maybe even their 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 uh, school might have a TV show that they could work for. Um, they could work for community TV. Um, like here in Toronto, we have Rogers. I have one of my students actually that uh, is going to be a host for a dining a, dine, a show about food, a dining show um, in the Durham region. Which an area just outside of Toronto. Um, it's all different kinds of things, and that's I, I don't know if she's getting paid for that, but it's um, it's still a fantastic experience. You know, all these types of experiences that um, would make a well-rounded journalist once they uh, graduate. Um, actually, when I was in journalism school, I worked for Rogers and volunteer work and uh, I worked on the school paper I did community radio um, and uh, was fortunate enough that in 1992 I was able to secure employment with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation so okay so I, I guess what I'm hearing is that um, the university is a is a place to start but there's other there's other avenues out there to get involved in and um, I, I guess what what else would you suggest for somebody that wants to learn about journalism besides just going to the university? Well, I think it's fantastic to make sure that somebody educates themselves as much as possible, and uh, there's all different kind of ways that you can do that. Like um, there are so many different um, websites out there. Like just even starting with uh, the, the World Wide Web and uh, getting signed on to uh, writers' lists for freelance writers. And um, of course, it helps to start off like you know just even with books. Like 
you know, I have books like How to Write Creative Nonfiction that goes right into uh, talking about um, how to kind of get started also with a writing career and The Right Heart that talks about writing, radio and television, and then scene that talks about writing. And um, some people could even start their own magazine. Like I have my own magazine called Donna Magazine and uh, have a book that came out of that called The Best of Donna Magazine. So, um, And that was just created with a program like WordPress on, online. Um, so the best thing to do with journalism, journalism is a very gut instinct, kind of uh, um, from the gut kind of uh, profession. So it's the kind of profession that works well if you're doing it. Like you do it, you keep doing it, and um, you got to be ready for things like rejection, of course, and and uh, but also uh, pat yourself on the back when you scored. You know, when something, an idea of yours, it flies. You know, so um, there are different ways of finding out about how to uh, how to do journalism properly outside of just uh, going to school. Going to school is fantastic, and I recommend that because some jobs actually require that you do have a degree, which is very different than the Ernest Hemingway days when um, you didn't necessarily have to have a degree to work for a newspaper. Um, but um, for somebody that just wants to freelance, sometimes they could do like, a, I think there's a Gotham Writers Workshop that they can be a part of. There's also a, a Gotham Writers book that may help them out. Um, they can do uh, workshops online. I'm, I'm actually offering workshops in February here in Toronto with a community center um, in downtown Toronto. Uh, so it's it's all these different kinds of things that that help to that help to gain the knowledge that you need to learn how to write a pitch um, because that's really important. You got to know how to pitch um, and how to do a proper pitch uh, and and to kind of sell your ideas. It kind of helps to have a bit of a sales savvy as well and um, and and to also uh, make that connection with editors. It may mean if you can find an editor that has the time, you may want to get to know that editor. It's more likely that uh, people that know you will more likely say yes um, when you actually pitch them an idea to do a story. So you may want to offer them uh, a cup of coffee or something like that, and go out for coffee or something, or or even get to something as great as lunch and get to know editors and and people like that in in the journalism world. So, and it also helps to be part of things like journalism associations. That's a great way to uh, network as well. Um, yeah, that's that's all those things. Like, there's so many different associations. Everything, like here in Canada, we have the Canadian Journalists Association. Uh, there's the South Asian the South Asian Journalism Association in the states. There are cultural ones. There are even gender specific ones in Canada. We have Women in Film and Television. Um, and then, of course, Doc Toronto, which is a documentary one that uh, Victor had mentioned before that I'm affiliated with. So, um, 
You can be part of listservs to find out a whole bunch of information about what's going on. And sometimes on these listservs, you can even find out about jobs. I actually helped out somebody on a documentary uh, this past summer, um, and it was actually uh, somebody uh, that that was um, doing a documentary on graffiti artists. Um, in Toronto and uh, was looking for somebody to assist. And uh, I figured, sure, why not? So I didn't do it for very long because the funds ran out, but uh, it was really fun doing it while I did. So Great, Donna. For those of us that don't live in major metropolitan areas, can you talk about some of these listservs or other online places that are any places that freelance writers should be looking to to make their pitches, places that will be receptive to a pitch? Right, right. That's a very good question. There is a woman named Krista Barrett who has a newsletter that goes out, and um, that's a newsletter where she goes into detail about uh, updates about what's going on in the writing world, and you can even promote your own stuff on that uh on that uh, website for free. She asks for a donation, um, but um, it's modest. It's kind of like a pay-what-you-can type of donation. And uh, for free, you can even promote your own books and things like that. It goes out. She's based in Vancouver, but I believe her newsletter serves, like, services the world. And um, and because uh, she lists... Uh, um, American magazines as well in in her newsletter, so it'll let you know uh, what magazines are out there, what they're paying uh, per word, um, and and different writing opportunities. Uh, there's also one by Mary Hahn, um, H A H N, and uh, and she does a newsletter, Writer Success, I believe hers is called, and um, she sends that out there, and you can also. Uh, it, it's the same idea of what Krista Barrett does as well. Um, there's also a g- really good one, too, called Worldwide Freelance Writer. And it, it's www.worldwidefreelance.com. You know, once in a while, they'll, they'll offer to uh, sell you something, but um, it's, it's usually good stuff, and uh, they always make note of very, very good magazines. Like, there's a magazine here in Canada called The Walrus, and um, that magazine pays, like, om- like practically a dollar a word, um, which is almost unheard of in some circles. And uh, so, like, you can actually write a story, like a 1,000-word story or 2,000-word story, and make, like, $2,000. You know, so. Wow, that's tremendous. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. And I actually know of some freelancers that just freelance. That's all they do. Like I, I teach, I write, and do journalism. Like I have to kind of combine all of that. But I know of some people that, you know, they're, they, they're connected with Toronto Life. They're connected with McLean's. Um, they're connected with the walrus. They're connected with all these major, really strong um, magazines that pay really well, and uh, they're they're making like very good money, like you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year just freelancing. You know, so and um, and sometimes they'll teach as well, but um, 
it's uh, it, it's just on freelancing. That's that that's what they're making. So so it's and of course it's a constant hustle. Like it's a constant hustle. Like you have to, you know, you're always pitching and you're always you know sending out as many pitches as possible and following up on the pitches because you don't want um, a pitch or a story idea that you send to an editor to just sit in their inbox or get deleted or just be ignored, basically. So you always have to kind of be barking at the person almost in a way to make sure that, um, that uh, you know, the, you can get uh, your your idea noticed. Um, I mean, of course, and I mean that's that's the advantage of being a writer because I mean, with the, uh, to be a writer, you need to be tenacious. You need to be um, you need to deal with rejection. You need to um, have the fighter spirit, and um, and it's the same in journalism too, especially if you're going to freelance. Great. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the next step, which is um, preparing an effective pitch. Is that the same as a query letter, or what are some of the distinctions, and, and what are the elements? It's not too different from a query letter. It's not too different from a query letter. The, the movement in especially magazine journalism and even documentary and uh, radio and different things like that is moving slightly away from the query letter. Like the query letter, some people still accept query letters, but um, a pitch is very similar to what I learned back when I was working for the CDC, where it's almost kind of like a focus statement that would include the word because. So say, for example, I'm doing a story on um, the importance of art in uh, people's lives, the importance, of, the importance of the visual arts in people's lives. Um, excuse me, um, I might write uh, a, a pitch where, or a focus statement where I'd say uh, the visual arts are important um, because they bring uh, spirit alive uh, for anyone who is fortunate enough, fortunate enough to see the visual arts. And it can be analyzed and critiqued and all these types of things. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of speaking off the top of my head, but it, it would actually be um, more honed. Like, you know, you'd write your draft and, of course, kind of, you know, you'd write your draft and then you'd craft it. Um, so you do that sort of thing and then you start getting a little bit into, it depends on the nature of the relationship that you have with the editor. Like if you know the editor, you don't have to put too much information in about what, why you should be the one doing the story. Uh, you can just basically pitch the idea, give them a sense of who your sources are. Um, you can choose to include specifics about your sources if you want to, but sometimes I'll even tell my students this, um, that you may not want to include specifics about your sources in case uh, the information is taken. Like, I'm not a true believer in that, um, but I've just heard of cases like that. So um, you may want to just give kind of enough information but without details. And um, especially if you're not too sure who you're dealing with sometimes, so you don't want to get burned. Um, so then basically uh, you just 
send it out there. And, uh, you know, you always want to make sure you're sending it to the right person. So, um, say, for example, it's like a magazine like The Walrus, for example, or even a magazine like mine, uh, Donna Magazine, but I don't pay a dollar a word. <laughs> I wish I could. Um, but uh, hopefully one day. Um, but uh, if somebody was going to send me a pitch like that, if they gave me a little bit of a sense of, of who they were or even attach like a brief resume and it, you know highlighting the most impressive parts of their resume that that would be fine like that that would give me a sense of what what they're trying to do right so you could you could have a link to a writing some writing samples or something so they can like oh, understand exactly. your voice yes. yes yes but sometimes you can even get a sense of how the person writes from the pitch as well, you can get a sense of how the person writes from the pitch, but um, some some actual magazines will rec like they'll request uh, for writing samples. So it it certainly doesn't hurt to uh, to send writing samples as well. You could you could send uh, some links for that, or either attach it, or you know maybe even put it in the body of the email as well just to make sure that it does send in case there's a problem a computer problem mercury's gone retrograde and and uh, the attachment doesn't open oh yes exactly well don i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more um in terms of the pitch why uh like you mentioned that you yourself have a magazine so um i was going to ask you about how do you deal with with rejection or how people can deal with rejection but I kind of first I'd like to hear um, what are reasons why you yourself would reject somebody's pitch well I, I'm I'm at the point where the only reason why I would really reject somebody's pitch because my magazine is very open-ended and um, I really kind of wouldn't reject a lot of pitches like the only time I would reject somebody's pitch would be if it's very offensive or it might be pornography or it might be sort of something that it does not fit the basic um, sort of model like you know one of my models for my magazine is hope and uh, if it's a very negative or very kind of um, bad energy basically I don't really know how else to describe it like type of um, idea then I wouldn't go for that um, so it's it you know you touch upon something very important Tyler because um, somebody who's making a pitch um, just as much as it's important to know the publisher that you are uh, sending out a manuscript to or a synopsis or whatever you're sending out to them, um, it's also a proposal. It's also very important um, that you make sure that when you're sending something to a magazine or even a broadcaster for a documentary, or uh, to do freelance for radio, or an online magazine, or an online newspaper, or um, a TV station, uh, to do uh, any kind of like uh, stories for them for TV, or do writing, or anything like that. You've got, you really got to know who you're dealing with. You have to do your research. 
um, it actually reminds me of a time when um, I was just coming out of journalism school back in 1994 because I graduated from journalism school in 1994, a long, long time ago now. And uh, and I was interviewed by a woman named uh, Mary Shepard, and uh, she actually asked me, she works with the online uh, section of, uh, of CB. Uh, to this day, she's one of the heads there, and um, there were in-house interviews at that time, and she asked me, uh, what's the difference? They, they have a show called World Report, and they still have that show. It's uh, very long-running, and um, it's basically morning. So uh, she asked me, what's the difference between the 8 o'clock newscast and the 9 o'clock newscast? And um, I didn't know the answer to that question, um, but it showed that I had not done my homework. So I didn't end up getting hired in the first round, but I was lucky enough that a second round came around and uh, I was able to get hired. But um, I use that as just an example of how important it is to know uh, the market, that, uh, to know the, the uh, product that you're actually pitching to. Um, because if you don't know it, then um, it's probably likely that it, it won't fly. Okay, that's that's a very good point. Can, can you tell us a little bit about how people can deal with, with rejection, especially I imagine when you're starting right, out? Right, right. Can you, you mention that too? And, and, and I apologize for not uh, answering that, that as well. Um, rejection is an art. I think learning to deal with rejection is a is a true art form. Um, I'm one of those people that my way of dealing with rejection is uh, if I fall off the horse, I get back on again and keep riding, <laughs> so to find something else. So, um, but that's the way I am now. I mean, I used to be the biggest drama queen out. Like when I would be rejected, like it was just like, oh, I can't believe it. This is horrible. Oh my goodness. And uh, sometimes I can still get like that, but I'm usually like that for about a fraction of a second, and then I collect myself and and kind of just say, okay, um, where else can I pitch this, or can I do it for my own magazine, or um, you know, I just I move on, I move on quickly. Uh, so I would recommend that's probably the best way to deal with rejection is to move on quickly. It's kind of like you know, it's kind of like okay, so all right, this magazine doesn't want me, what's next? You know, turn the page, right? So it's almost like if you're reading a book and you don't like um, something the character did on page two, um, turn to page three and, uh, you know, very quickly, and uh, you may like what the what's on that page. So, um, so it's almost like with rejection, just turn the page quickly and move on. So, or you know, sometimes um, you know there are situations when uh, I'm reading a book and I don't like it, so I don't finish it. So, uh, so it's just uh, you know, with rejection, you just kind of you know just move on. So there are tons of other magazines, documentaries, radio, internet, movies, TV, TV news, uh, um, TV magazine shows, radio, community radio. There's so many other things, and especially um, regardless of where you live, in a city environment or even in a rural environment or a suburb, 
there are so many different opportunities if you see the world as your oyster and if you are fortunate enough to have a computer with an internet connection. Um, there's so much that can be done right from sitting in a chair and and typing away at a computer and uh so it it's it's uh you know so maybe you know you may have pitched uh, a radio freelance piece to the BBC they don't want it but maybe NPR does you know and if NPR doesn't want it then maybe the CBC does you know so it's or maybe the ABC does the Australian the Australian Broadcasting Corporation or maybe Radio Netherlands, you know. So it's it's just knowing. I think sometimes in when it comes to rejection, it's very important to keep in mind that knowledge is power, and that uh, the more you know about a situation, the more you know about what's out there, um, then the easier it can be. De- it can be. To deal with rejection because then you know that, that just because that door has closed doesn't mean that there aren't so many other doors uh, yet to open. Okay, it sounds like there's lots of uh, like flexibility there. Mm-hmm, um, and, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit about if, if you're doing journalism, say specifically for newspapers for many years, how mm-hmm. difficult is it to transition into doing uh, journalism for radio or journalism for TV? Is, is there a lot of crossing back and oh, forth? Oh, that's from an excellent question. There are, you know, actually for the longest time, it was, um, it was like, and, and still to a certain extent is true today, that if you do, if you write for an, a newspaper, it's highly, it tends to be highly respected by the broadcast media, um, radio, TV documentary, uh, TV magazine shows, news, uh, broadcast news, um, highly respected um, because many journalists, um, somewhat, you know, now more online, um, but, uh, you know, there are many journalists that still get their news by opening up the paper in the morning, and uh, they still get a lot of their stories from the news. Um, I didn't even mention newswire services, which is a whole other uh, arena right there to uh, to work too. Like you know, places like Associated Press or Reuters or um, uh, Canadian Press or like you know these kinds of kinds of places. Um, but um, but basically, getting back to your question, Tyler, about um, newspapers are making the transition, um, usually it's just a matter of uh, of maybe even, you know, there are so many different books, like, you know, I, I kind of turn to my bookshelf and I have tons of books, like I, I have a book called uh, Random Bibliography of... Um, of uh, of uh, media, geez, I can't even remember the name of my own book. And I had it as a free download for a while, and then, but the download actually is quite affordable. And uh, it's a whole bibliography of um, it's a whole bibliography of um, of book resources like journalism resources and and oh, here it is: random bibliography of media books and internet resources. Um, so the book um, is basically in its $10 download, and uh, the print is uh, a bit more pricey, but it's um, the download is $10 for the ebook, and um, 
I believe that one is available in hardcover too, and uh, that um, uh, book has tons of. Because I I just took a list of books that are on my bookshelf and figured I'd share with people um, all the research I've come across, like you know everything for writing for mass media, uh, storytelling and the anima factor, um, uh, the wealthy writer, uh, the elements of feature writing writing for visual media, uh, media writing, writing for print and digital media. So, so these are all books that could help people actually make the transition from writing uh, if in newspaper style to writing for more broadcast style. As well, my radio and television announcing book um, can help in that regard as well. Great. That's a, that's a whole huge pile of resources. Uh, I wonder if you, you could speak a little bit about, uh, I don't know if this is your area or not, about uh, writing for syndication or, or pitching a column. Yes. Uh, I actually tried to start a, col- a column with the uh, Toronto Star, and I got one story in there and, um, and didn't really quite get a column per se, but um, I did kind of get something kind of going with a magazine called New Dream Homes and Condominiums Magazine, and uh, it wasn't a column per se, it was just a series of articles that I did uh, that I wrote, and unfortunately, that magazine is uh, kind of in flux right now, so and I loved writing for that magazine, and uh, you know, I was a regular contributor, and it was absolutely fantastic. Um, funny enough for me, how that happened is um, the, the person who became the editor, I was writing for that magazine before um, uh, the person who became the editor entered the role. And uh, he was a student of mine uh, at Centennial College, and uh, he um, uh, was looking for an internship. So I wrote an internship uh, reference letter for him uh, for uh, New Dream Homes and Condominiums magazine. He started off as an editorial assistant, and then the the original editor left, who I was dealing with before, and he was bumped into the editor position. So that was a great connection right there, and uh, it was uh, wonderful working with him because he was one of those people who tended to, you know, I'd send a pitch, like, you know, two, three sentences kind of pitch and I mean it was well thought out you know I wouldn't send them garbage and and uh, and you know but he was always like yes 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 you know so I mean I had my in so I mean I, I kept my in really and uh, so but uh, it's a shame that the magazine has is kind of in flux right now so um, probably with well the housing market is supposed to be doing well but I don't know what it was about but I, I really kind of developed a bit of a beat you know, when it came to um, uh, the the real estate market, so and and home decor and that kind of thing, um, and many of those articles are also featured on my magazine. And uh, but to start a column, um, sometimes it can be nowadays. The simple way to go about it is uh, just to start your own uh, like blogger, e-blogger, 
uh, the, the, the e-blogger site, like through Google, and just write on a particular topic. Like to get into niche marketing, um, you actually can make money from starting a blog. Um, there's uh, Darren Rouse and Chris Garnett uh, write a, a great book called Pro Blogger, and uh, they have a website called ProBlogger.net. And um, they talk all about how you can make a six-figure income from writing a blog. And uh, this is one of the ways that you can do it without having to deal with the same rejection you would if you were to approach the New Yorker or the New York Times or um, the Washington Post or uh, the Chicago Sun-Times or the Chicago Tribune or any of these really big, huge papers or even the Toronto Star. Like, I mean, it's the fourth largest newspaper in, in North America. And, it, like, you can actually make a lot of money just from uh, writing your own blog and developing a following. Um, Google Ads helps somewhat, you know, but there's, you know, some problems sometimes with that. But, you know, you can always get sponsors. Um, you can always get people to sponsor your blog. And uh, you can ask for donations. Um, there's There's so many different ways. But... That book really gets into a lot of really good ideas about how you can make money with your blog. And Darren Rouse and Chris Garnett are like, you know, living proof that it can be done. Wow, that is inspiring. Well, thank you, Donna. The time has really just flown, and you've given us such great information. I'd, I'd like to give you the chance oh, to, to yeah, plug <laughs> all of your blogs and stuff that, that you'd like to tell our listeners about. Well, my, my company's name is Donna K. Kukonge, M.A., and uh, my website is Donna Kukonge, K-A-K-O-N-G-E. I know it's a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> Blame my Ugandan dad, uh, .com, but he's a great guy. And um, and uh, I, my, uh, on that site, you can actually see uh, where you can connect with my blog, Connect with my magazine. You can connect with my podcast. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, I don't have really Facebook up there. I'm kind of not the biggest fan of Facebook, but I'm trying to change because I know that's the way things are going. But uh, so I'm semi into Facebook. I do have an account, and um, and uh, you can also get the the link to my store. To my online store through Lulu.com, where even though my books are on Amazon, it's actually cheaper to buy them on Lulu because Amazon kind of marks up the price, so it's cheaper on Lulu. And there's a book sale, there's a book uh, contest going on this month with uh, with uh, Lulu too. So buy my books. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Okay. All right, everyone, you've been listening to another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. We'll be back next time when our topic will be our press releases, still an effective way to market. And our special guest will be Paul Crouppen. You can learn more about all of our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear about you. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. 
please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Superior Book Promotions, this is Tyler Tischler in Marquette, Michigan. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening. All right, but don't change that dial yet, because coming up on the Authors Access Network is the Authors Afterburner Show with myself and Tyler Tischler, where we continue to explore the career of freelance writing, this time focusing a bit on the financial side and other practical aspects of getting it done. We'll be back in 20 seconds. So now we're into uh, Authors Afterburner, the post-game show, and uh, this evening uh, it's just going to be Tyler Tischler and myself, and I'm going to be talking to Tyler about some of the challenges of being self-employed in the writing industry. So this uh, ties in very well with uh, tonight's topic, uh, by coincidence or by design. I'll take it by design. <laughs> okay. So, Tyler, tell us a little bit about uh, the importance of, of networking to making the uh, transition to successfully being self-employed. Well, I'm, I'm not quite sure where to begin here, but uh, obviously networking is, is very important. Um, if you're going to be self-employed, you need sources of income, and that money has to come from somewhere. So you need to make connections with, with people, and um, there's, there's all kinds of ways to do that. Um, Donna, she was she was talking about uh, some some of that herself, some ways to network with people. Um, I think she mentioned trade associations, and I found that joining um, different publishing and authors groups is a is a good way to do that. Um, you just you never know who you're going to meet, or um, you know when you're when you're going to make the right connection. And you know we're all we're all connected. We know people who know people. Um, you know you go on to uh, these social networking sites like Facebook and MySpace, and they give you now the, in the last year or so they've been telling you, well, we think you might want to be friends with this person because they're friends with th this other friend of yours, and so you can make connections that way. And it's the same way outside of social networking. Um, one example, as a member of the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association, um, a few years ago before I was... Uh, part of the board, we had a guest speaker come, um, who's, been, who's been a guest on our show, Patrick Snow, and he, he was going to be our guest speaker, and he uh, asked if, instead of staying in a hotel, if he could stay in somebody's home, and I offered to have him stay at my house, and we connected, and ever since then, he uh, he's a publishing coach, and so ever since then, he's been referring lots of his publishing clients to me, so I can get... Uh, I can edit their books or proofread their books or, you know, help them out in some way along those lines. So that, that was a connection that I made. Um, I've done a lot of work for Irene um, through Reader Views, and that really resulted from my ending up getting 
getting interviewed on this this program back in I think it was March 2007. So I, uh, you know, I I have income coming in from work that resulted from an interview from uh, from belonging to an organization, and uh, just also of course writing my own novels and meeting people and having people um, ask me how I got published and then wanting help with that and so I help them out and I meet people that way as well. So kind of a long answer but there's there's just all kinds of avenues to meet people and uh, really it's it's impossible to say any specific way. It, it can just happen in a variety of ways if you're just open to it. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's so many ways to meet people and that's why I always try and carry business cards with me and uh, you know be relentless about adding people on LinkedIn and Facebook and, and everywhere because you never know when the friend of a friend is going to be somebody <laughs> that you really need. Absolutely. Great. Now maybe you can debunk this or not debunk it. It's up to you. But there's sort of the, uh, the persona of the freelance writer is the person who gets up at 5 a.m. and starts a 16-hour day. Is that really how it goes, or, or how, how can you, you go the distance? Well, I'll tell you, Victor, yesterday I only slept about two hours. I don't know why I had insomnia. So I did get up at about quarter to five and start working, and I think I worked until about seven or eight that day. So that that would be one example of uh, it being true, but it, that's very rare. Um, I work from home, and so that uh, you know that gives me that gives me a lot of a lot of freedom. And so it, it is hard sometimes for me to sit at my computer and work uh, editing a book or whatever I'm doing from say eight to four. But um, I I find that I I probably work more like eight to six or nine to seven or. You know, but other days maybe just ten to five. It just depends on what I have to do. Some days I decide I'm going to go to the grocery store in the afternoon, and then I come home and I work until seven or eight. You know, so it, it just it just kind of depends. What it does is it allows you to have flexibility. And if you know, if on a Wednesday you want to do something that doesn't involve work, you can always work on Saturday or Sunday or not. Um, and and it also it depends on how much work I have coming in and how much I have to do. Some weeks I may only um, feel the need to work for 30 hours. Other weeks I may work 60 or 70 hours. But you're, but it, it gives you, for the most part, allows you to be in control of your schedule. As long as you know you have deadlines and when things have to be done, um, you you can be pretty flexible. Great. Yeah, I was. Uh, we didn't get much chance to talk about it with Donna, but I know the successful freelancers that we've talked to, like uh, Yvonne Perry, talk about you know having a pipeline, and and every day you send out a few new queries, and every day you do work on existing projects, and every day you like finish up projects. Do you find that you know you have a pipeline that you're maintaining of of jobs? Yeah, I I um I was very concerned when I first started that I wouldn't have enough work. And then there were, there have been some days where um, I've, you know, I've wondered, well, where's, when's the next piece of work going to come in? But then there have been times when, you know, I've had five or six books in line to edit and have just been swamped with work. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, I don't know that uh, this, this isn't maybe the most professional thing to say, but I find that when I worry about it, as soon as I quit worrying about it, the work just seems to start coming in. And I, I do do some things to try to um, to market myself. Like I go on MySpace and 
Facebook and post comments and make it, make it clear that I'm there. And I've taken out ads and papers and, uh, you know, just kind of spread the word and tried to network with people, like I said. But um, a lot of the time I just find that when I, when I quit worrying about it, it just seems to, the, the universe knows how to, how to take care of it for me. Oh, great. That, that, that definitely, uh, I mean, that's the sort of picture I was thinking of. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, maintaining your, your finances. And uh, so do you actually have a, you know, a budget of, of in terms of how much uh, output you need in a given month and, and things like that? Or how does that work? Um, I, I don't have anything necessarily formal. I, I mean, I know roughly um, how much my mortgage is each month and how much, you know, the water bill is and the gas bill and how much I would spend on groceries. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I have some rough idea of what I, what I need to make each month. And um, then, of course, there's always a little unexpected things like you forget that uh, a certain bill that you only pay. Like the other day I got a, a notice that it was time to pay the bill for the web, for my website, and I just forgot it was that time of year. And so I was a little bit surprised by that. But, you know, I, I went ahead and paid it. And... Uh, Beforehand, I, before I completely went to being self-employed, I was pretty good about saving my money. I've always been kind of, a, um, uh, I don't know, cheap or tight with my money. So I, I have enough put away. I, I, I've watched uh, Susie Orman, and she says to have, what, eight months or something of income put aside for emergencies. So I've, I've been good about that, and, and so far I've hardly ever had to touch anything that I've put aside for emergencies and then put uh if i had i usually end up being able to put it back later yeah that, that sounds like a great plan i mean i've always i've always heard that and then but i never uh never operated that way and and uh believe me it, yeah it, it makes a difference if you can have that that cushion of of three months or six months or eight months like the the experts say so let's talk a little bit about uh multiple streams of income. I know with Donna, I mean, we're basically talking writing, 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 but if you think about it, most people have, I guess, different talents and different areas that they can they can uh, pursue. Can you talk about how that works? Yeah, Donna was uh, just talking about that a little bit herself, how, um, you know, she, she tries to uh, get work from different different places, different, different papers. Um, I myself, I uh, of course, I've written several novels, and so that's a that's a source of income. I sell my books to the bookstores, and I go to uh, I have book signings, I go to craft shows, so I have money coming in from that, and that's kind of um, kind of an up and down. It, you know, like a bookstore will call me. Like just yesterday, they called and they wanted some books and. You know, they wrote me a check, so it was a hundred and some dollars. So that was that was nice, but I don't uh, necessarily expect the books so much. Um, sales tend to go up as the year goes on until you get to Christmas. But you know, like in the winter, January, February, March, book sales are pretty low. So you know, I kind of have to take all that into consideration. Um, I am the proofreader at the local. Um, there's a local monthly paper here that I do the proofreading for. And so I usually spend about one week every month. I go over there every evening for a few hours and do the proofreading for them. So that's a nice uh, check that I get for that. Um, and I do lots of projects with 
uh, lots of book editing. I do proofreading. I write book reviews. So I get I get money from that, and each of those is usually an individual client. Um, so hopefully, um, some of those authors write multiple books, and they keep coming back to me. And I've had that happen a couple times now, where an author I've done work for has come back later or referred somebody to me. So you know, you, there there are lots of different uh, different different possibilities there. And you know, I've even thought if I if I absolutely had to, I could always take a, a little part-time job somewhere or, you know, work for a temp, uh, temp business or something on the side of once in a while. But, um, you know, you just kind of have to keep your options open and not burn your bridges. Yeah, that's uh, words of wisdom. All right, well, we've, we've given you the third degree, so uh, let's, clo- let's close and give you a chance to, to plug some of your various sites uh, that I know you've got several uh, on the burner. Well, if you're interested in reading my novels, you can go to MarquetteFiction.com, and I have five novels listed there, and uh, they're all historical novels, regional fiction about Upper Michigan. Um, and I am planning to branch out in the future and write some fantasy sort of books that are not uh, necessarily set in Upper Michigan. So you can look forward to those hopefully in the next uh, next year or two. And then my other main site is superiorbookpromotions.com. And uh, you can find some book reviews that I've written there for different people. And that's also my primary site if you are looking for editing or proofreading for your book. And, uh, you know, I I also um, am willing to do any other kinds of writing projects. I had a company uh, hire me the other day to uh, do a brochure for them, to proofread a brochure and check all their pricings against their uh, website to make sure everything was correct. So it doesn't have to just be a book. If you want help with business letters, press releases, anything like that, I'd be happy to take a look at them. Great. Well, all right. I guess that wraps it up. And uh, on behalf of Irene and Tyler and myself, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, be sure to tune in to our next show, which will be something that I've forgotten. Oh, yes. Our press release is still an effective way to market your books. Thanks again. Thank you. Good evening. All right. And music for Authors Access and Authors Afterburner is provided by George Wood and PodsafeAudio.com. Okay, Tyler, I'll wrap it up and uh, get this thing in the can. Okay. Sounds good. I'll talk to you later. All right. Have a good evening. Bye-bye.